Hello, true believers, and welcome to another episode of Cinema Excelsior! Okay, so we are doing something a little different for this episode. Uh, our discussion of Spider-Man, the 2002 Sam Raimi film, was too big for one podcast. That's right, we had so much to say that if we released this as one single podcast, we would have broken the internet. And we don't want to do that now, do we? So what we've done is we have split our Spider-Man podcast into two parts. Uh, in case you're coming to this out of order, you are listening to part one of our discussion, and we sincerely hope you enjoy. Bonesaw is ready! Okay, so, welcome listeners. Thanks, it's good to be here. <laughs> Good I show, love your guys. podcast, man. <laughs> this time next year, this podcast will be earning serious money. All five of them. <laughs> yeah. Mostly us. All right. So I've not listened to our podcast yet. I, I listened to the nope. Fantastic Four episode. <laughs> you don't have to listen to it, man. You I listen to the ones I'm not in. <laughs> well, that's good of you, actually. All right. Well, to be fair, I've been here for every one of yeah. these, so it's not like I'd have to catch up on anything. I didn't get to listen but, to the two you, that I missed. But you guys are listening to the podcast Nick Smith and I do, right? What? Mm. <laughs> you guys do a podcast? <laughs> I'm going to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is buzz marketing. Haven't you been trying to get... Yeah. Have you been trying to meet about a podcast for like three months? <laughs> yeah. Patrick, you should change your name to buzz marketing. <laughs> Ooh. You know what? I think that's the thing holding me back out here. <laughs> yep. All right, so this is Cinema Excelsior. Dude, do you want to try saying that? Cinema Excelsior! Are you ready? <laughs> Bonesaw is ready! <laughs> you got any chewing left to do? Hey, I covered up the mic while I was chewing. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, so this is Cinema Excelsior. This is the podcast where we talk about films made uh, based on Marvel Universe properties. And this week we're talking about Spider-Man. Uh, let's just go around the table. We have our superstar panel here today. Uh, going from uh, digital left to digital right, uh, we have Mr. Daniel Watson-Jones. Bonesaw today... is 3D! <laughs> Sorry, did I jump the gun? Be... Was Bonesaw ready before yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Bonesaw, Bonesaw's a little oh. too ready. Uh, who will be playing the part of Macho Man Randy Savage, playing the part of Bonesaw McGraw. <laughs> Bonesaw is ready! <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, to his digital right, we have Mr. Derek Long joining us after a couple of episodes off. Hello! Derek will be playing the role of ring announcer Bruce Campbell, primarily because he would look awesome in that gold jacket. It's true, I would. I would. Mm -hmm. Who wouldn't? Uh, to his digital right, uh, Nick Bester. <laughs> You're not going to say anything? No one can see you, Nick. <laughs> no. No, he's going to wave. No, 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 no. What character is he? Nick, uh, Nick, Nick Bester yeah, is James Franco as Harry Osborn. <laughs> I will destroy Spider-Man! <laughs> Because he's a teen heartthrob. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was waiting for you to introduce who I was. That's oh. why there was that pause there. Uh, to his digital right, Patrick Regan rejoining us. Uh, Patrick is playing the role of Ted Raimi as Hoffman because statistically speaking, he is the most likely of us to have appeared in a Sam Raimi film. 
Uh, I was in Jonah Hex. Yes. Which is a story for another Don't time. Don't you ever forget it. Yep. And I am Stephen Claypool, and I am playing the part of uh, J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson, because I'm an asshole. Tell me, Stephen, do you want any pictures of Spider-Man? Pictures! Front of the paper! Oh! <laughs> Just remember, uh, with with great power comes great responsibility. I think I've heard so, that somewhere before. Just, you, Twice. You, you claim J.K. Simmons, ah. but uh. so so that so that means I I need to live up to to the standard that he sets for us all. Yes. That's right. Yes. Mm, yeah. Let me consult my Simmons Bible. <laughs> all right. So the film today is Spider Man, released in two thousand two, directed by Sam Raimi and starring. Uh, Toby Maguire, Willem Dafoe, Kirsten Dunst, James Franco, Cliff Robertson, Rosemary Harris, J.K. Simmons, and Macho Man Randy Savage as Bone Saul McGraw. Hold on a second. I thought I that love, we watched. I love the, how that the, other than J.K. like J.K. Simmons was the biggest role, or, or that or Franco was the biggest role he had to get down to before any of us had to claim a character. I, Usually <laughs> we claim like the title. <laughs> one of us is one of the title characters, but none of us wanted to be Spider-Man or Mary Jane. Everyone was like, "No, no fuck well, that." I don't I don't know. Know. Hold on a second, Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man. I'm confused because I, did we watch yeah. different Spider-Mans? I watched Spider-Man starring Lucy Lawless, Elizabeth Banks, and Bruce Campbell. Yes, also with Lucy Lawless, Elizabeth Banks, Bruce Campbell, that guy who played Nathan Reed on Angel. Uh, One of the bitter, one of the bitters from the auction scene in Batman and Robin is in there. uh, Oscar winner Octavia Spencer. That's right. Oh yeah, I missed uh, Lucy Lawless. Who's she in? She's a she's a three second interview with a goth chick. A hands. Sounds hot. That yeah. girl. Sounds hot. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to go back and watch that scene again. Repeatedly. <laughs> oh. Sounds hot. Fair enough. Um, I'll be in my bunk. Yes. So, <laughs> so Spider-Man, uh, th- this is... This is going to be an interesting yeah. episode, but I think we're going to start off with, uh, as we normally do, a brief recap of the film brought to us today by Mr. Patrick Reed. Finally, Patrick, take my it coverage away. skills are coming to a use other than work. All right. Good. The film opens with a narration from Peter Parker, a.k.a. Spider-Man. He mostly is going to... Enthusiastic <laughs> narration. I'm, this is going to be a running scene here. Um, God, I am going to get in such trouble for this podcast. Uh... But do you want us to edit you out? No. <laughs> Formerly appearing uh, today, Patrick Regan. <laughs> <laughs> if you do edit him out, just leave like lacunas where he is. Don't like actually like cut out that time just he's talking. Long silences and our reactions. <laughs> or you can give him series voice. Yeah, or we could digitally alter my voice. Um anyway. To sound like Steve Harvey. Yeah. Also you forgot the most <laughs> important part, the credits. Oh, Appropriately they're all in webs because they're ensnared in this terrible film. I actually God damn it, talk, we're never getting through this movie to, at this pace. Come on! Shut up! <laughs> I actually do want to talk about the credits for a second because they are very clearly similar to the X-Men credits. And we're going to talk about this later. This movie loves a lot to the first X-Men movie. Anyway, mm-hmm. it opens with Peter, Peter Parker, alias Spider-Man, talking about his story and how it is a sad story, but it is, like all stories, about a girl. In this case, Mary Jane Watson. We see Peter running behind a bus, running late, and no one's going to let him on, including the almost delinquently uh, irresponsible bus driver, until Mary Jane gets them to stop. Peter is the outcast. He sits in the back of the bus with nobody. 
They show up at Columbia University Science Center, where Peter meets his friend Norman Os- Harry Osborne, I apologize, son of billionaire industrialist Her- Norman Osborne. They go into Columbia University's giant spider lab, which is the only way I can describe it. <laughs> where- which we all know they have. They're world-renowned yep, yep. for their spider labs and their ghost busting. Yes. I yep. will actually point out they reuse several sets from the Ghostbusters. Um, Peter, uh, in his role of school newspaper photographer, takes several photographs of the spiders and attempts to talk to Mary Jane, but pretty much wusses out at every time until he finally starts taking pictures of her. The research scientist introduces them to a genetically engineered super spider they have made from three other different kinds of spiders for reasons. Um, Science! Um, we're making, we're making monster spiders, because that's what we do here at Columbia. It's very responsible. <laughs> one, of the monster, just... one of the fluorescent red and blue spiders has escaped, though, bites Peter on the hand. Um, Peter has, like, five seconds where he talks to Mary Jane, then goes home and follows us asleep. Meanwhile, at Oscorp Labs, Norman Osborne is working on the projects for the military, a glider filled with weaponry, and what is essentially a super soldier serum that increases strength, but in one test with a rat, causes insanity. This one test is enough to halt human testing, which would then lose them their valuable defense contracts and apparently just destroy the entire company. Norman decides... I don't think we have tests for rat insanity. I don't think that's a thing. Well, Captain America did have a test for rat insanity, if you'll remember. So, yes. <laughs> and the Marvel yeah, Universe Nick. has huge rat insanity tests. Yeah. It's too bad um, we don't have tests for supervillain insanity. Don't make me Google rat insanity test. I'll do it. I'll fucking do it. Norman then decides the only way to, to save his company and everyone working for it is to test the serum on himself. It's a solid businessman. <laughs> The test, um, however, it increases his strength, his intellect, his speed, his regenerative powers, but drives him insane. He kills his scientist friend and starts and breaks everything, stealing, sort of, although it's technically his anyway, uh, the goblin glider it's the and, shareholders. <laughs> and armor. Peter wakes up and discovers that not only does he no longer needs, need his glasses, he is like super ripped. <laughs> <laughs> Over the course of the day, he discovers several other powers, including the ability to stick to walls, shooting webbing, and spider sense. He gets into a fight with Bully and Mary Jane's at-the-time boyfriend, Flash Thompson, easily besting him with his superpowers. (laughs) Everyone hates him still. Such a bad day, Flash Thompson. He then goes across the city, experimenting with his new powers and his bioorganic web shooters. He comes home, having discovered that he forgot to fulfill a promise to his Uncle Ben to paint the kitchen. Um, I probably should have mentioned this, but I'm assuming anybody who's listening to this knows his parents are dead and he lives with his aunt and uncle. Um, he then has a chance encounter with Mary Jane and then sees her run off into a, car, a new car with Flash Thompson. He decides that the best way to impress her is to buy a car. However, he has no money. Looking through the classified ads, he finds some cheap cars and an offer for $3,000... If you stay three minutes in the ring with Bonesaw McGraw, who may or may not be ready if he weren't chewing something. Yeah, dude is too busy chewing to be ready. (laughs) Bonesaw is apparently not ready. (laughs) Bonesaw is ready! Thank you. There we go. Thank you. I just loved loved glancing down and he's like gripping his microphone so he can't hear his chewing and he's like... 
No, I was deliberately holding it to my face so you could hear it. <laughs> oh, okay. Peter makes himself... So, Patrick. Yes. Peter... <laughs> Bonesaw is ready. Peter makes himself a Spider-Man costume, although a cheap version of it, and plans to go in and plans to enter it, the, the wrestling competition, in order to make money to buy a car to impress Mary Jane. However, his recent reticent behavior has gotten Uncle Ben and Aunt May worried, and Uncle Ben offers to drive him down to the city so he can give him a talking to. He has a, talk, he has a chat with Peter and utters the now infamous line that with great power comes great responsibility. Peter, however, is a young dumb idiot and has none of it, throwing it back in his Uncle Ben's face and, most damningly, telling him that he isn't his father. He's also like <laughs> 17 or 18 at this point. And let's be honest, most people are dicks at that This age. is true. Yeah. Super, we don't need super strength to be idiots. Peter handily re- wins the wrestling match against Bonesaw. However, Bonesaw! <laughs> however, he does not get the promised fee because he only lasted two minutes before knocking him out with his 10-ton lifting spider strength. That's what she said. Mm. When a thief robs the wrestling group's money room, it's a, I'm not quite sure what it is, <laughs> Peter has a chance to... The gate! He stole the, the gate! Office. Thank you. Mm. Um, Without his mask. I know nothing about wrestling. Uh, he, Peter has a chance to stop the thief, but lets him go, seeing how his, it isn't his problem. He goes to, back to meet his Uncle Ben to find Ben dead on the concrete, a victim of an apparent carjacking. He overhears that the perp is headed down, the, is headed down a particular street and chases after him in his Spider-Man suit, cornering him in a warehouse and discovering it was the criminal he failed to stop. Dun-dun-dun! <gasps> what a twist! The criminal trips in shock and falls through the window to his death. At, at the funeral, everyone sends their condolences, and Peter realizes that to live up to his Uncle Ben's wishes, he must fight crime in a much more better-looking Spider-Man suit. <laughs> they- <laughs> his uncle really wanted him to be stylish. <laughs> he starts gaining fame, and then, after graduating high school with Harry and Mary Jane, moves into college with... With Harry Osborne. Um, uh, Mary Jane moving into the city to become an actress and working as a waitress. Let's see. It's at this point, however, that Norman Osborne's board of directors, despite the massive profitability, decide, we're going to sell the company and screw you, Norman, you're fired. On a Unity festival, upon which Peter discovers that that Harry is dating Mary Jane, the Green Goblin attacks, killing the entire board of directors and threatening Mary Jane. Spider-Man saves Mary Jane and fights the Green Goblin. Green Goblin running away with I'll meet you again, Spider-Man. Sorry, that, we're going to talk about that. You here said Unity Day Festival. Going, going, wait, is wait, this is a regular thing? Yes, it is. <laughs> oh, we have to talk about yeah. that because that's the best scene of the whole goddamn movie. Norman Osborn yeah. starts mm, talking to himself for his green, or his Green Goblin persona. And they realize that there's only one person that can stand in their way, Spider-Man. Norman decides the only way to find Spider-Man is to attack the Daily Bugle, where Peter has been selling photographs of himself to help pay the rent. <laughs> and it- oh, that sounds so much worse. <laughs> That's why I said it that way. <laughs> buy the pictures. You want to buy the pictures? J. Jonah Jameson, in a rare display of bravery, refuses to tell the Green Goblin who he's been selling in the pictures. Peter Parker attacks... But Norman responds with sleeping gas, knocking Peter out and taking him to a rooftop where they chat for a while about what I can only describe as Randian philosophy for about five minutes. Now, 
Now, how, how do you, how do you know that it was sleeping? Because, because he literally says sleep. Sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. And Spidey said, Spider Sense evidently has no effect on sleeping gas right to the face. Yes. Um, <laughs> Green Goblin essentially giving him an ultimatum. Join him or die. Peter continues to have trouble balancing his work life and his love life as he is still super jealous of Harry dating Mary Jane. The Green Goblin decides that he's going to force the matter by, a, by setting a building on fire and attacking Spider-Man within the building. Spider-Man fights the Green Goblin off and then heads to home where it's a Thanksgiving dinner with Aunt May, Mary Jane, Harry Osborn, and Norman Osborn. Norman Osborn notices a cut on Peter's arm, puts two and two together, and realizes that Spider-Man got the same cut. Peter Parker must be Spider-Man. At this, at this point, it's basically Twelfth Night. Yes. Um, never read Twelfth Night. Mistaken identities. Farce. Dinner. There's dinner. Norman Osborn speaks to his Green Goblin persona, and the Green Goblin tells him he must attack the heart. So he attacks Aunt May, putting her in the hospital. Peter Parker is all freaked out, and then talks to Mary Jane. Mary Jane revealing that after a recent encounter where Spider-Man saved her, she's beginning to fall in love with Spider-Man. Harry walks in on Mary Jane and Peter Parker and concludes that they must be stripping. He then goes home and talks to his dad, who has gone completely Looney Tunes about how Mary J- how he was right and Mary Jane was just after his trust fund. Norman decides he's going to be a better father and this apparently means killing Mary Jane. Aunt May points out that really Peter should talk to Mary Jane because everyone and their mother can tell that he's in love with Mary Jane. Peter Parker realizes that, oh no, this must mean the Green Goblin also knows that he's in love with Mary Jane. He calls Mary Jane's house, gets her answering machine before the Green Goblin picks up, asking if Spider-Man can come out to play. Spider-Man heads to, I believe it's the Brooklyn Bridge, but my knowledge of New York landmarks is pretty shaky. I, I'm saying It's the Gwen of... Stacy Memorial Bridge. <laughs> it is. Yeah. That's the name we, of we that bridge. I actually think, looking at the uh, the surrounding buildings, I think it might be the Queensboro Bridge, because it's the Roosevelt Island Tram. I take your word for it. <laughs> sure. Yes. Anyway. A bridge. They're at a goddamn metal bridge. The Green Goblin sets up a death trap. The same death trap he, in fact, set up in the infamous Gwen Stacy death scene in the comics, where either Spider-Man can save a tram full of little children or Mary Jane, here playing the part of Gwen Stacy. Now, as we're in the comics, his attempt to save both of them results in Gwen Stacy dying. In this case, it works out pretty good. He saves both of them, and they are lowered onto a boat while Norman Osborn attacks them. They are saved by the people of New York, Throwing things at Norman Osborn and then giving the most New York dialogue that ever New York. <laughs> USA, USA, you mess with one of us, you messes with all of us. Can we point out that that he doesn't actually really save Mary Jane? She saves herself when he drops her thirty feet, and she, using non-spider strength, catches the gondola. <laughs> yes. Very impressive. Yes, you can. Anyway. Yes. The Green Goblin attacks and knocks him into a, aband- a set of abandoned buildings near the island where both of their masks, where his Spider-Man's mask is ripped off. However, Spider-Man had managed to beat the Green Goblin back, and he event- instantly adopts the Norman Osborn voice, claiming that he is, for a moment, in control, begging Spider-Man for his help. Then, how- however, it is too late. The Green Goblin persona asserts itself, and tries to impale Peter on the spider glider. In the most well-thought-out attack ever. Yes. (laughs) However, Peter's spider spins kicks in and he jumps over the glider. It impales Norman Osborn, 
who, with his dying breath, begs Peter to not tell Harry. Peter takes Norman Osborn's body to his mansion castle thing, <laughs> where he is caught by <laughs> He's Harry. He's an oligarch. They all have castles. Yeah, caught by, where he's caught by Harry, who then immediately assumes that Spider-Man killed his father. At the funeral, Nor- Harry goes to Peter and tells him that he is the only family that he has left, but that he will not rest until Spider-Man is dead. Mary Jane confesses to Peter that she loves him, but Peter realizes he cannot be with her because anybody who gets close to him while he is Spider-Man is in danger. He then walks away with another voiceover about how he is Spider-Man. The film then ends. Missed it in the last two hours. By the way, I'm Spider-Man. But, but, but I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. We forgot one key component. The film ends, yeah. the credits roll, and then the Nickelback starts. <laughs> because this is going to be something I'm going to be talking about. I have never seen a film date itself so quickly. Uh, thank you, Patrick. Even after Macy right. Gray was in the film? Yes. Yeah. Macy yeah. Gray. Macy Gray. Macy Gray <laughs> we we, we will. A whole we, fucking lot. So so there, Way there more is the Nickelback because when was the last time you heard a Macy Gray yeah. song? There is a ton of stuff to talk about here. We could probably spend a couple hours on the Unity Day Festival <laughs> if we want. But before I, I we do, get there, I do want. Before we get there, uh, I've got some trivia to share. Sure. All right. So. Uh, I don't feel the need to talk too much about Spider-Man as a character, created in 1962, Amazing Fantasy 15 by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, one of the most popular comic book characters in the world, on the same level as Batman and Superman. The media history, though, is very, very interesting. <coughs> um, there have been a number of animated uh, series based on the character. There was a terrible live-action series in the late 70s. Uh, starring Nicholas Hammond, which was sort of following the Incredible Hulk model, but mm-hmm. much crappier. Uh, my favorite uh, adaptation, personally, is the Japanese adaptation, where Sp- <laughs> where the uh, Peter Parker equivalent uh, <laughs> commands a giant robot named Leopardon. <laughs> of course he does. It, it's Power Rangers in a Spider-Man costume. The current, the current animated version actually is particularly interesting because it features uh, the character Phil Coulson from the Iron Man movie mm-hmm. and the Avenger, the greater cinematic mm-hmm. universe, voiced mm-hmm. actually by Clark Gregg. Hey, Clark Gregg, he's working. Yeah. Hey, he's well, one Clark, of the stars of the Shield. Clark yeah. Gregg is doing fine. He, is, he does not need your. I know he is. I know he is. <laughs> Um, there, have, there have been another a number of other adaptations, newspaper strips, coloring books, and unfortunate musical. Yeah, um, I said about that, the better. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then, of course, there's been this film series. Uh, the fifth film is being made now, two separate continuities. We'll get to that one day. The thing that I think is most interesting about the film series are the rights issues surrounding the film. So I, I have built out a uh, a little bit of a timeline yes. here. Yes, I, 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 I prepared about, this in case you hadn't. <laughs> talk, about, talk about the rights issues. And the rights issues here begin with Canon Films! Yes! <laughs> you remember when we did Captain America and Menahem Golan optioned two <laughs> Marvel properties for film adaptation? I do. This yep. was the second one. <laughs> so the first, uh, the first plan to make this a film that uh, that Golan had was to hire Tobe Hooper of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Fame. Is that not Toby? I always thought it was Toby. I always assumed it was Tobe because it's just T O B E. That seems like it would be Toby. I always pronounce it. Toby. I've heard both versions. Toby Hooper. 
uh, he want his conception of the story was a little different. He wanted the story to be a businessman transformed Peter Parker into a giant spider. So he wanted it to be the fly. <laughs> I think that was a plot used really staying on uh, true the animated the series. Material. Yeah. I'm, so Stanley didn't like this version. I'm inclined to agree with and, him. Shocking. <laughs> yep. And he pushed for a rewrite, uh, which was more traditional, had Dr. Octopus as the principal villain. And this version might have actually gotten made had the canon Ponzi scheme, excuse me, I mean the canon business model, not collapsed in the late It's 80s. fine, none of them are working in Hollywood, I'm safe. Yeah. But, but Golan held on to the script uh, when he went to 21st Century where he made Captain America and eventually got it over to Carol Co., where James Cameron took over. Now, there, there are mixed reports about what Cameron wanted to do with the film. Some say that he wanted to do a version with variations of Electro and Sandman as the villains. And do it as an R-rated take on the character with a lot of profanity and a lot of sex. Other reports, and these are the ones that I believe. Famous in the Spider-Man canon. <laughs> yeah. Um, other reports say he was hewing closer to the Golan script. He wanted Dr. Octopus as the principal villain. And he wanted to cast who as Dr. Octopus? A real octopus? Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> so we were deprived Arnold Schwarzenegger stumbling around with giant robot arms out his back. I am Dr. Octopus. Deprived, deprived is the word there. Deprived yeah. is the word. Yeah. Spider-Man! <laughs> uh, this one might also have been made. Had Carol Co. not also collapsed? Do you know what killed the dinosaurs? <laughs> oh, the octopus age! Spiders! Also a faulty business model. <laughs> and what killed the dinosaurs? Heart will beat no more. <laughs> um, yes, so Carol Co. collapsed. Now, due to the way that Cameron's contract was structured... And the shady deals that Golan and Co. had made over the years. And the fact that every rights holder except Cameron was bankrupt, including Marvel itself at the time. Uh, there followed a lengthy series of lawsuits. Now, in the end, MGM stepped in and acquired the rights, uh, which it then did nothing with. And ostensibly, the rights reverted back to Marvel, who then licensed the film again to Columbia, a subsidiary of Sony. MGM, though, claimed they still had the rights, and any further production, again, was held up by litigation. Now, finally, resolution came from an unlikely hero. Spider-Man? James Bond. <laughs> James Bond. Which one? So Kevin, Ma Kevin McClory had co-written Thunderball with Ian Fleming and retained the rights to that story over the years, even as Eon Production had the primary character rights. That's how McClory was able to make Never Say Never Again, which was a remake of Thunderball. And during the late 90s, he wanted to do that again. He wanted to remake a remake of a film that he wrote in the 60s. Wait, now, he wanted to do a third Thunderball? Yeah. Yes. With, uh, I believe at the time it was with like a 65-year-old Sean Connery he wanted to do. I would have watched that, though. Third or ball. Um, now, as luck would have it, MGM at the time owned the rights to the principal Bond franchise, and McClory's Bond rights had ended up at Columbia. Yeah. So the two studios ended up trading 
their claims on the rights. MGM got everything for Bond, and Columbia got everything Did for they meet Spider-Man. on opposite sides of a bridge and walk across? <laughs> trade at the same time? <laughs> what bridges do you they, think they, are out here in Los Angeles? Yeah, they, 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 on, to, on the Gwen Stacy Memorial There's a bridge, bridge over Spider-Man every walks across waterway. waterway. I'm changing the terms of our deal. <laughs> <laughs> the girl is mine! <laughs> And that's how this film got made. Um, the only other was, pieces of trivia... I was really hoping when you said James Bond that it would be Timothy Dalton. Yeah, I was actually... I was really hoping that Timothy Dalton had some Gentlemen, gentlemen, we can resolve this. George Lazenby, <laughs> professional negotiator. if I'd like to actually add a little uh, uh, context to your uh, timeline... Yeah, yeah, ...that I wanted do, to mention... Do. Um, this is actually going to be... This is going to be relevant for pretty much every movie going forward until we hit Iron Man. Uh, the reason that uh, Marvel's properties were literally all over Hell's... have been all over Hell's Half Acre for the last 10 years or so was because, as Stefan mentioned, Marvel went bankrupt. When the comics bubble, boot, bur- comics bubble burst back in the mid to late 90s, early 2000s, there was a lot of... Spe- when people stopped buying Rob Lazenby. Right, essentially, th- there was a huge... It was essentially a speculation market. DC survived it because DC's been part of Warner Brothers since, like, the 70s. You know, it wasn't a problem. Mm-hmm. But Marvel only just got bought by Disney. They were by themselves. They were broke. They were flat broke. They sold off literally everything, which is why Namor is in the hands of Universal Pictures, because whatever. They're planning a Jaws crossover. (laughs) Someday they're going to make that movie, and it's going to be insane. Um, But I just wanted to add that bit of context, because if anyone's wondering, why was Marvel bankrupt at the time? Mm Mm-hmm. It's also, I think it's also an interesting kind of case study in how, like, it's really only been pretty recently when the idea of, like, you know, having control over a property, over, like, the intellectual property rights uh, to a franchise or to a whole, like, universe, you know, has really become, you know, this really big deal mm-hmm. In, mm-hmm. in Hollywood. I mean, it always has been for, you know, a bit of an extent, but, like, really, you know, starting in the 90s, it's like... Yeah, we got to own own the rights to these characters, right? Because well, and and the the primary reason for that, if you look at this one film, this film grossed more than eight hundred million dollars. It was the largest opening weekend box office in history. And it, 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 that it, it was the first film to make a hundred million dollars in a weekend. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I'd forgotten that. It it was it was a it was a hit in every respect except the ones that we're going to talk about. <laughs> I think it's I yeah, think it's except for the parts where we like the movie. Uh, this, I think it's still very, very I, I think it's still like the fortieth highest grossing film of all high. time or something wow. like and that. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure that Spider Man two and three are not far behind. Spider Man two, well. I believe, is is uh, gross is actually in front of it. Spider Man three. No, you were right. It's gross. Because, yeah, Spider Man three <laughs> because of its Spider Man three ness uh, is behind it. So the, the, the only other the only other piece the only other piece of trivia the only other piece of trivia I have before we uh, launch further into our freeform jazz odyssey <laughs> of a discussion here <laughs> is um, the other actors that were asked to play the Green Goblin before Willem Dafoe got it and Dafoe lobbied hard for the part but the two that were Asked to play it, or three that were asked to play it. One was John Travolta. Oh my god! For some reason, for some reason, John Travolta was exactly who I was thinking of. <laughs> I don't think sec- I knew that. I think I was just rooting in my mind for John Travolta. The second was John Malkovich. Huh? That could work. And the third that should have been was Nicholas Cage. Oh wow! Oh. 
<laughs> they were one. They Harry obviously they were watching face off and something with Malkovich. Yeah. Harry, so oh, man. It was uh, face off and Con Air. <laughs> Isn't John Malkovich the ah, Con yeah. Air? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, they were watching those two movies. It was like we need to get one of these people, any yeah. one of them. Dave Chappelle, I don't care. Somebody has for these movies. Has Danny Trejo, <laughs> Los Goblin, all the has the Green the guy Goblin. The played Buddy Colvin in the Green he is be. the Green Goblin. <laughs> <laughs> He's fading faster than Greg Kinnear. <laughs> all right. Uh, dude, are we ready to talk about the film? <laughs> Bullsaw is ready. <laughs> All you can, right, let's, uh, you can let's just, just call me Bonesaw. That's okay. <laughs> okay, Bonesaw. Uh, let's just throw the floor open. Uh, who, who has a thought? You know, I was watching this recently, and I had Is Flash Tops in a character from I the hope comics? So. Well, by reason, I mean like an hour ago. Um, and, yes, it is. You know, it's funny. I hadn't watched this day. movie since maybe early college. And the thing that really jumped out at me was when I first saw it, I was we would have been what? 2002... Uh, I would have been like 12. Um, you know, I watched oh it because God. Spider-Man <laughs> was my first superhero <laughs> love. That's like the summer after my senior we're the year. same age, Devin. You were in high school. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. We were 16. So it was like maybe 14. I don't remember. Um, I don't know. Age, age is, gets less I would have been a young teenager, younger. I think is the point. Um, anyway, um, the thing that really struck out of me was when I, when I first saw the movie, I hadn't watched much in the way of Sam Raimi. So I didn't realize mm. that this was... I had, the, the fact that it was being directed by Sam Raimi at the time meant nothing to me. Now that I, wow. you know, yeah. have been through film school, I've seen pretty much every Sam Raimi movie, I was watching again, I was shocked how incredibly Sam Raimi this movie is. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, it is a... Mm-hmm. Yeah, tone is something I want to talk yeah. about a lot about this movie. Well, yeah, you know, it, what really struck... What really that. surprised <clears throat> me when I was looking... Because, you know, the, 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 one of the famous things everyone remembers from this movie is, you know, the organic web shooters versus the tech web shooters. Mm-hmm. The reason Raimi put those in, um, along with the screenwriter, uh, who, by the way, wrote Jurassic Park, so he's no slouch. Well, David Kemp. Yeah, David Kemp, yeah. he's no slouch. Yeah. Um, you know, the reason they did this is because they thought it was unrealistic for a teenager... To invent that kind of material um, that three that quote three M couldn't, and the thing that struck me is also also unrealistic for a teenager to be Spider. Well, that's actually the thing that struck me is that this <laughs> this film's tone is very soap opera soap opera and comic booky, like much more so than like later Iron Man's or even the Amazing Spider Man remakes. Like this is a very this has a lot mm. of comic booky lines and moments yeah. and camera work. I mean, th- there are there are scenes that look. Like when he is running through the alley, changing into the the costume uh, mm-hmm. to find Uncle Ben's killer, that whole montage or yeah, montage I guess uh, mm-hmm. sequence looks very much like comic book panels. The way the camera is twisting yeah, and turning, sh- yeah, yeah, yeah I thought it was very well done. Uh, yeah, and even more, yeah. even more kind of mon- mundane moments in the editing. Like there, there are a couple of like fire dissolves um a mm-hmm. couple of kind of like smash cuts to sudden the, the action graduation hats thrown up in yeah the graduation really hats thrown up in the air yeah. yeah i mean it's little touches like that that yeah i mean i i, I agree they, they really evoke this kind of comic book sensibility mm-hmm. i think i think the parts that i like the best are the parts that are, were especially campian kind of the ones that do feel the most raimi uh and i've, I've been descri- i was t- telling some other people about having seen this movie again uh, and what I was telling them was that I feel like Willem Dafoe is in a much better, much campier movie than pretty much everybody else in this film. <laughs> <laughs> yes! yes. I, 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 
J.K. Simmons is in the same yep. much better yes. movie, and every so often James Franco joins them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, when he cranks the poutiness up, yeah. right? And everybody then, else is in like this like far too serious movie, but then you have like the Unity Day sequence or like the amazing parts where William Dafoe has a conversation with himself, and I'm like, this is the tone that I wish the rest of the movie Nick, was. Nick, or just this over the top and campy. Nick, I agree with with your your point uh, almost completely. Um, that more serious film that Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst are in, though, for uh-huh. some reason, they decided to phone that in. Like, oh, my God, they have, yeah. They have, like, the deadest eyes. Like, that's the no only way I know how to describe be it. in that oh, yeah. film. No, it's no not, one. The weird thing is, it's, not, it's not even that it's a... Uh, it's not even that it's an overly serious movie. It's not a very good overly serious movie. Well, the weird thing about movie. Mary Jane and Peter in this is that, you know, if, if at the risk of putting my nerd... Wait, what the fuck am I talking about? Of course I'm putting my nerd hat no, on. What, what, what show do you think you're on? <laughs> what are we doing here? We've come on, on movies every couple weeks. Nerds! <laughs> Spider-Man goes through at least, I let's see, three different girlfriends off the top of my head. Betty Brandt, um, Black Cat, and... Um, uh, Gwen Stacy before hitting Mary Jane. This movie literally jumps to the head of the queue. Betty Brandt is in literally one scene. So, in a lot. And she's Elizabeth. I have only heard of one of those other women that you just named, but I've never read. I've, I don't know that I've ever read any Spider Man comics. So. Well. Well, you know who Betty Grant is because she's Elizabeth. Oh, Banks. okay, yes. Uh, but the thing, yes. but the she's point, Elizabeth my Banks, point being yes. that this. That's why the they kind of have that weird, almost flirty moment. The point being yeah. that this movie is trying to kind of use this shorthand here. the size of his check. <laughs> the point, Almost flirty is the alternate title for this. There's a bit of short, <laughs> they're trying to do a bit of shorthand here where, the, where they're going to expect us to want these two to end up together just because it is Peter's one true love from the comics. Well, and it might not be so... Like, I, I understand, you're streamlining for adaptation, mm. and Mary Jane is the iconic girlfriend. Right. But you really could have cast those roles much, much better. It, it's I the thing that I kept coming back to as I watched this, and I don't know if it was just that they were disinterested or the script was failing, but I thought Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst were terrible, and they had no chemistry and seemed to have no interest in having chemistry. I, I felt that Tobey Maguire was fairly good, and, and he looks to me like the iconic Peter Parker. But Kirsten Dunst, I couldn't figure out for a long time whether – she brings nothing to the role or whether the writer brought nothing to her role. And I really feel like it's a combination of both because there's no point in this, in this screenplay where it feels like Mary Jane exists for any other reason than uh, to, to bounce against Spider-Man. Well, I mean, that's the thing. The one thing I noticed, and we'll probably talk about this more when we hit amazing Spider-Man literally is that, uh, is that this is that Mary Jane is literally the focus of Peter Parker? I mean, he doesn't have a lot going on aside from her as a human being. Right. I mean, that's, that, <laughs> right. that's literally his first line: "Is this is all about a girl?" And the thing that also struck me in terms of an adaptation was that Mary Jane in the comics is notorious for being probably the most fiery, you know, strong-willed. She's a sexy. Yeah. Lady. I mean, what 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 is her iconic shot? Is the door open? Uh, Bester, you say it. You say, say it. it, please. I don't know. God damn. All right, I'll do it. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right, shot is standing in front of uh, some white trash guy who's about thirty feet away and yelling at her. <laughs> yeah, that's that's where iconic shot in the movie. In the in the comics, yeah. the thing she's most known for is, of course, face it, tiger. You face just it, hit tiger. the jackpot. You just hit the jackpot. Right. That is Mary Jane. Yes. Yeah. Not you're trash. You're always going to be trash. Ah! Six dollars short. 
I mean, this, this is a character that in the... <laughs> that just caught up to me. Uh, this is a character that in the comics, you know, was hit on by, by Tony Stark and slapped him in the face. Mm. So, you know, it's... They're, Kirsten Dunst isn't. It, it is a very different... I'm not even... I'm not... I don't want to... It's not even that... I don't know... I don't want to say it's unsuccessful, it's but it's just... it's. I don't think it get, gives her any agency beyond... She's mostly defined by who she's in a relationship with, whether it's Flash Thompson, you know, Harry Osborn, or eventually Peter we, Parker, or she's in love with Spider-Man. We, I yeah. mean, that's kind of her main arc. We, yeah, she doesn't have much motivation, but then, mm-hmm. as we as we said earlier, neither really does Spider-Man. Spider-Man has essentially two motivations. Get the girl and, well, my... My Make up dead. I guess guilt. I should fight crime. Well, I mean, I by the same token, Green Goblin's motivation in this is pretty weak. Like, the, the Green Goblin at one point com- says to, to Norman, I bring... I, let me do the voice. I'll bring you what you've always wanted. Power beyond your wildest dreams. His motivation <laughs> is to not have his company be sold, which he accomplishes halfway right. through the movie. And then he's like... He accomplishes it with a grenade that turns right. his competition into skeletons. Well, then, and, then, yep. and then he's supposed to get power beyond his imagining... He's a billionaire industrialist with super strength. Yeah. How much more power do you goddamn need? <laughs> but you see, there's a guy over there who's this putz named Spider-Man who could ruin it all you for some reason. You could make Bruce Wayne yeah. look like a chump. What the hell do you mean? There's a, point, there's a point in the film where the goblin says to Norman, uh, Spider-Man is all but invincible. No, you're just making shit up now. <laughs> I feel like to be I, fair, I, I, he is insane. Two two things, two things. First, uh, we've said it several times talking about Flash Thompson. Derek, I'm officially putting you on Flash duty. You know what that means. Flash. I don't get it. What? Right. Dumbest name. S- second, um I, I think one thing that might sort of structure the conversation a little is if we hit some of the key scenes as we I move agree. through the movie. Mm-hmm. Starting in the exposition lab, oh, now, yes. there are several <laughs> problems with it. There are several problems with this scene. First, do most major research facilities have giant Doric columns in the center of them? <laughs> Clearly, you actually, never uh, most Columbia. have ionic yes. columns. No wait, is it ionic? Also, no, or, also or ionic? it's it's ionic. Or ionic. ionic, you Philistine. <laughs> I said ionic. Then I second guessed myself. Oh, you did. Did. I did. Oh. It's also it's also described as Columbia University's science department. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where they do I have a, I have a science. I have a bachelor I have a bachelor's in science. With apparently a grant by the Reed Richards That's who called gives a, a BS. What, what, what department? Yeah, yeah. Oh, the science department. The science department. Um First thing that oh, hit me besides yeah. the columns and the fact that we got a nice exposition of everything spiders can do that he can do too. Dork's position. Uh, yeah. Uh, Peter Parker is really creepy in this You know, scene. this is actually... Parker, can I take your picture? Peter Parker is a little weird in the entire movie because he spends most of the movie lusting after one particular girl and I'm not entirely... I'm watching a girl out his window. Right, like he... Yeah. It, it's kind of like almost... My hands are sticking. It's webbing. Webbing. I... Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh... I feel like this is this is a good example of uh, how I view all of everything about Spider-Man. Spider-Man okay. is to me like the classic comic book nerd's wish fulfillment character. He is a high yeah, school yeah. guy oh, who is nice, perceives uh, mm-hmm. the girl as completely outside of his reach, all of the things that he actually wants uh, mm-hmm. socially to be beyond him, uh, and then mm-hmm. he gets his powers. Uh, Obviously, tragedy that sends him off in the direction of uh, absolute heroism. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
all of the instances of him discovering his powers are classic wish fulfillment scenarios. Uh, the yeah. the girl falling and him getting to save her, you know, and, and pull everything off he perfectly. He beats up the bully. Uh, and then, yeah, beating up the what's, bully. What's that bully's uh, name again? He... Flash. <laughs> ah! Thank uh, you. He wakes up and he just rips his shit. <laughs> yeah, he's got perfect vision again. Uh, I don't even exercise, it's, man. Yeah, it's, it's all of his dreams. Right away is weird looking. Can we just uh, can we just say yeah, it is very strange? I, yeah. I I feel like what's weird about it though is not necessarily the way he looks to us, but the idea that Toby Maguire would enjoy looking at his own body. <laughs> I will point out there is one point where he's looking down at himself. And let's just say the yeah. angle at which he's looking down does not imply that he's looking at his now muscular torso. Yeah. It yeah. seems like he's yeah, looking body, lower. More muscular. <laughs> well, to be fair, if he has mutated into a spider, spiders keep their genitals on one of their legs. I'm just going to point that out. <laughs> I like that you say one of their legs. Like, oh, which leg is it on today? <laughs> <laughs> well, they have eight legs, and one of them, I don't know which one, as long as the spider knows, he's like that's all I'm down. saying. It doesn't he's move around. down, and he's like, ah, muscles are bigger. Dick's <laughs> on my knee now. But <laughs> They're like the aliens in uh, the undiscovered country. Yeah, exactly. Not everyone keeps their genitals in place, says David Bowie's wife. Um, <laughs> Nailed so it. So in the, in the lab, they are genetically engineering uh, fif- 15 super spiders. But I only see 14. For reasons. Why? For science reasons. Why? Okay, for science. No idea. Also, uh, so there, she says 15 spiders. Mary Jane immediately says 14. She's got, like, Rain Man counting going on right now. <laughs> also, you like, think Well, maybe more... she's, like, really, really scared of spiders. <laughs> you know, and so she's keenly aware of how many spiders are in the room at this exact you know, actually, moment. I think I know why this scene exists. I have a theory. If, if the... <laughs> so that he can get bitten by a spider? No, no, no. no I'm not, not... <laughs> so that say, we can enter the second act? The reason that the scene is structured like this... As opposed to, like, any of the other depictions. I think that in this case, we're very early on in the superhero genre. Specifically, we're very early on in the days of superpowers. We had a bunch of Batman, but, you know, Batman doesn't really... Up until Mr. Free showed up, no one had superpowers. I think they don't think... I don't think they trusted the audience that that they would accept, like, Spider-Sense. So they decided to come up with this weird scene where they're like, its reflexes are so fast, it borders on precognition. Like, they felt they had to explain it all. Because well, I, to be fair, I do not buy Spider-Sense. <laughs> well, that's yeah. Spider-Sense. <laughs> <laughs> that I call bullshit on. I call it. I have. I have taken notes here, and I have two different notes about how bullshit Spider-Sense is. Yeah. My first one says Spider-Sense literally worthless, and my second one says Spider-Sense is useless against gas. Well, and, and, and what, what was your tweet, Bester, about Spider-Sense? <laughs> Where's your Spider-Sense now, motherfucker? He cackled as Spider-Man fell, uh. which was absolutely in reference to sleep. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I don't know why he doesn't use that again. It's super effective. <laughs> so the, yeah, the, uh, the the other thing about that scene, and I, I think that Patrick, that that is a good point. Just contextually, sort of where you are uh, in the development of the superhero film. The other thing that bothers me about that scene is the spider bites him and then gets away. <laughs> it's not. Squid. It doesn't get his it thumb has up. spider <laughs> sense. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, no. Yeah. Sev- several more people could have been bitten that day. <laughs> <laughs> then it would be called Spider Man. Yeah, okay, and women. Spider women. Spider-Man. Spider people. Spider Man. Spider Man. Spider people. Uh, I would watch that movie for the record. Yeah. I-, I feel like this scene yeah. is 
I mean, it's a fairly compact I exposition like scene, but all of these early scenes are, are pretty straightforward. It's just, okay, this right. is the tone of the film. Guy likes girl. Girl is the only one who sticks up for Guy on the bus. She's his, mm-hmm. his hero, essentially. She's the one that stops and lets him on the bus. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's, a, it's several scenes of people getting rejected all in a row. Uh, you get uh-huh. Peter Parker rejected by everyone. Um, uh, I've got this written down somewhere. Harry but... by Norman. Harry rejected by yes. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and Aunt May and uh, Uncle Ben kind of get rejected by Peter briefly. Uh, and yes. the the only person who doesn't do any rejecting is actually Mary Jane. The only person who accepts Peter, mm-hmm. uh, well, I mean his family does, but the uh, mm-hmm. this scene is in contrast to the other scenes around it of Peter approaching Mary Jane and being accepted, uh, even fact, without superpowers. Go, so you have to mm-hmm. have these moments before he's got superpowers of her demonstrably liking him. To actually, to, to, bo- to, to bolster fair. your point, um, is that we also learned that Uncle Ben has just been laid off by, at his job. Yes, that rejected. was the other one. Okay, yeah. class right. issues! I, I, no, I, I gotta ben. bring this up, because, because I, I did a little thinking about this, okay? Yeah. Oh, and so the Uncle military ben, rejects I, I, be- I believe I believe I read at the, at this point the character of Uncle Ben. Cliff Robertson was seventy five. Oh, yes, wow. this is this is a very the old. Char- Uncle the ben. character of Uncle Ben was like sixty eight at this point mm-hmm. in this film. Okay, so he's been laid mm-hmm. off. He was an electrician at the plant. So a sixty eight year old <laughs> lifelong union electrician just got laid off. Yeah, he probably doesn't have a cushy New York union pension or social security to coast on when he was working three years past retirement age. Yeah. Just for the shit of it. Yeah. He cares about his work. Uh, while we're on the while we're on the subject of rejection, does it seem a little strange to anyone else that uh that Harry is such an outcast. Yeah. I feel like the guy, yeah. with the poor I feel like the guy who is literally richer than God yeah. probably has some friends. Even if they're sort of jackass hanging yeah. on types, yeah. there should be some other people who are trying to get into Harry's good graces other than literally the least popular person. I mean, like, I'll buy that he, he's yeah. only friend, that he, he trusts Peter because he feels Peter is not trying to sniff around his trust fund, but everyone mm-hmm. should be trying to suck up to Harry his father is a billionaire. Flash Thompson is absolutely the kind of asshole who should be going, hey, well, Harry, that, how you doing? Yeah. I love you, it, that, is, that is motivated slightly by that scene right before they go through the uh, science spider lab. Um, spider lab. Yes, where... Spider lab. Spider lab. Where he's like... And the Rolls Royce. Yeah. Where, where it's, it's kind of implied that they... That the the school rejects him because of his wealth. It's like, mm. and Norm, Norman Osborn's like, "What am I gonna do? You know, trade in this Rolls Royce for a Jetta?" Um, I love that before he becomes the Green Goblin, we have already established that Norman's defining characteristic is he's a terrible father. Yeah, <laughs> yes. uh, pretty much every depiction of Norman Osborn has basically said, "No, no, no." The Green Goblin gas did not make him an asshole. He was an asshole. Yeah, no, he's been an <laughs> asshole. It yeah. just made him more of an asshole. Probably the most confusing thing well, I, to me about these early scenes, and actually through the whole film, is Peter Parker's relationship with Mary Jane. They've lived next door to each other since they were six. He's been in love with her since the fourth grade. But, and clearly they already have the nicknames. six years old in the fourth grade? Yeah. he acts as if he has never spoken to her before. Yeah, that's just not... I don't yeah. believe that. They, if they've lived next to each other from when they were six, they would have been, like, best friends at six, because that's and, how you have your best friends at six years old. Yeah. And presumably, they, they were friends in the past because they have the nicknames, but now he has yeah. suddenly become awkward again. So that, that scene of him taking her photo seems to me that it's like, it's, it's him, I mean, he's... Trying to read Yeah, yeah. He's, he's trying to talk to her, uh, 
I don't know, past his, his emotions. Um, mm-hmm. But I mm-hmm. guess, it, well, no, specifically later in the film, uh, Harry says he's been in love with her since the fourth grade. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's very which confusing. Actually brings, which actually does bring up a question I about think, Harry. I, How long has he been in school with <laughs> Yeah, he's been kicked out of every private Good school. Good question, yeah. But, uh... Yeah, yeah. It, you get the impression that he's the reason why. If I can I'm, take a very, very quick uh, digression while we're on the topic of uh, Harry and uh, mm-hmm. Norman Osborne. Please do. Uh, in the Atlanta area, there's a realty company called Harry Norman Realty. <laughs> and every time I saw a sign, I pretended to myself that Harry and Norman Osborne had set up a realty firm in Atlanta. Is this another one of these, like, calls it endorsements you've got going on the side? Like your Zulu electric Way to way to spoil the punchline. Yeah. Way to spoil my closing thoughts. Oddly, it's right I, next I to also, Green Goblin Hobgoblin Realty. <laughs> God damn it! It should have been Hobgoblin Green Goblin. I told you. I, when we were supposed to go first, Green Goblin, Green Goblin go first. Derek, Derek. I, I was going to say I was also kind of confused about where peter and mj actually live i think it's queens i mean it's queens but they keep talking about like where city. are you going after graduation i'm gonna move into the city you live um, in the city. but they but they and but they go like the name of their high school is midtown, midtown high. high they don't bus from queens I, into, <laughs> into midtown midtown high so yeah it's it's I, kind of confusing. i gotta say that never occurred to me having spent so little time in new york city hmm <laughs> Having spent it's the weird. last several months in New York, that bothered me. <laughs> um, oh, by the way, yeah. So you, I you, didn't want to make. Th- I've been wanting to say this ever since you guys did the Blade podcast. That is oh, yeah. not New Orleans. I'm calling massive bullshit on that. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah, call I believe I said that too. <laughs> None of us believe that. Yeah, guys I didn't want to say it as a native. New Orleans. It is not New Orleans. Okay, we can go back now. <laughs> we agree with you. Yes. So uh, we move through there. Peter has his powers. Norman has his uh, his goblin experiment. Uh, there were some things about the whole goblin setup that bothered me. Um, number one, I don't believe that the entire multi-billion dollar company depends on this one defense contract. Yeah. Number two... Um, well, that would explain why he gets fired uh, <laughs> by the board of directors if he had somehow been mismanaging this company so poorly that it did all depend yeah, on that. Yeah, maybe he's just a terrible... <laughs> he mismanaged it from the ground up into a billion dollar company. <laughs> <laughs> he's clearly a fool. Exactly. Uh, um, the, the the thing the thing that actually bothered me though is, dude, you look like I, you're about to pop. Just say my it. my favorite say. and the worst moment in this entire film is during that that uh, board of directors meeting, uh, when at, I know what you're gonna say at the end when the guy is drinking from the teacup, that teacup steals the entire film. I thought you were going to mention Willem Dafoe's incredibly... <laughs> I started this company. Yeah. No, no, his creepy sneer at the end. You're finished, Norman. Am I? <laughs> Horrifying sneer in the middle of a board meeting while everyone's looking at him. No, um... One of the, member, <laughs> one of the members of the Oscorp board? Sumner Redstone. Viacom head really? Sumner Redstone. Oh. Oh, oh really? Cool. Yeah. I guess that makes um, sense. The, the sure old man in the wheelchair, the old man in the wheelchair, also played Nathan Reed on Angel. Mm. And the, I brought this up earlier. the The teacup man, that fellow, yes. 
That was one of the old men bidding on Poison Ivy in Batman and Robin. Yes, he is. <laughs> oh my god! But yeah. not, but not Patrick Leahy. A not different Patrick old Leahy. man. Different a old different man. old man bidding on uh, <laughs> on uh, he, Poison Ivy. I hate myself for remembering this. Specifically, he is the one who, with his cigar in hand, <laughs> screams, "And I'll bid forty thousand dollars for the lovely Magnolia." <laughs> <laughs> Don't hate yourself for uh, knowing that. We all love that yeah, movie. That's true. Um, anyway, the the thing the, the thing that bothers me about this, and this may be the movie being a little bit ahead of where it needs to mm-hmm. be. We we should talk a little bit about the Green Goblin costume. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's terrible. <laughs> and the the to be fair, <laughs> well, of course I, you would I, have I, a super I, 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 you as a to goblin. Be fair, there well, has I, never I, been I, a I wrote, good version of the Green Goblin costume in the history of that stupid of that damn character. I, I I wrote down as I was watching it. Um, the costume designer in the opening credits is James Atchison, and I wrote down costume designer James Atchison. You have failed this city. <laughs> Thank you, Oliver. Um, yeah, no, he. Um, here's what I think the problem is. The Green Goblin is a ludicrous-looking character in the yeah. comics. I mean, he, he's a fucking True. Halloween monster. True. So you have to adapt that to film in one way or the other. To if, be fair, is there a Spider-Man rogues, rogues Gallery member who doesn't look ridiculous? The Green Goblin is Dr. probably is the most ridiculous, though. He's wearing a, a, a long, floppy cap More and than a Craven tunic. the Hunter... Craven the Hunter is styling, man. <laughs> More is Craven the Hunter. I don't know what the hell really? you're talking about. Craven the Hunter is a pimp, and we all know it. <laughs> yeah. Leopard-skinned spandex, motherfucker. Lion-head um, vest. Here's... Yeah. <laughs> he's pimp. Made. He's pimp. Um, no, the, the, pro- the problem here is it's a goofy Halloween costume-looking character. Yes. If you adapt the film tonally and commit to the camp as we've talked about before oh, how you can did. you can make that work and especially with an actor like Willem Dafoe with that face that he has I mean, that, that's yeah. why you cast him <laughs> in that role I mean that, that 100%. works instead they put, put him in that weird like Power Rangers get up and I think the reason is this in Batman Begins they go to great pains to explain scientifically by process why the Batman costume looks the way it does, why it was built the way it does. They try to ground it in a particular reality. Yeah. They tried to do that with the Green Goblin costume. It's a military, it's military equipment. You know, it's built for specific military applications. All this stuff. Right. They undercut it with the goblin head. (laughs) Goblins are scary, Stefan. They strike fear in the heart of the enemies of the military. (laughs) If you're right, Stefan, and I think you are, it it kind of relates back to that spider scene earlier where they, they just, it was so early on in that sort of superhero sort of realm that mm-hmm. we weren't willing just to say you know what you know why captain america wears red white and blue stripes and stars because he's captain because he's american, american. God damn it. how dare you question him no but if, if, if you put with this particular tone you try to justify that scientifically and in this context in a film with such a mishmashed tone and with a character that is so over the top it doesn't work in that context. Well, I mean, that's all... Independent of that, the costume is terrible. <laughs> this has always been the weird thing about the Green Goblin as a character, though, because Norman Osborn, the character, is great. I mean, some, there's this great graphic floating around the internet that basically it's Lex Luthor plus the Joker equals Norman Osborn. 
And it's true. He's great. You know, they, they've done great, you know, psychological an- analyses of them. Um, he's fascinating. And he's a great supervillain. I love seeing him go up against Tony Stark, especially. But the problem yeah, yeah. is that when he decides, before he got his Iron Patriot armor on, when he decided to actually get some fist-in-face action with, say, I don't know, Daredevil, it required him putting on a purple tunic, a purple, a, a floppy purple hat, and a green goblin mask. And then lo- looking in the mirror and saying, I look good. Exactly. Like, there, there's always been this huge dichotomy between yeah. Norm- how Norman Osborn operates. He is part Spider-Man's arch nemesis. And how he looks, which is absurd. Yeah. You forgot the most important part of his costume. The little curly toe elf <laughs> shoes. <laughs> I made Also purple. And, also purple. And, and his purse. Yes. He does have a purse. It's full of pumpkin bombs. It all makes perfect sense. The, the um... Uh, unless anyone has more thoughts at this point, the next scene because I know that we all want to talk about Unity. Yes. Day, we have oh one more scene. We have mm. we have one more scene we have to get through before Unity. Oh my work. god! I want to talk about nothing more. <laughs> we need we need to talk about the wrestling. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Every. I, I want to talk about the wrestling, wrestling in particular. Um, and again, I'm I trying Dana not to. I'm to trying to avoid this. over-referencing Amazing Spider-Man. Um, but the wrestling is a is such a holdover. From the, the, the actual from the actual paper from comics, the oh, yeah, it's, it's something you can totally buy. In fact, like the whole scene where he's looking for a car in the, in the, in like the want ads, I'm like, I'm sorry, I realize the internet wasn't what it was today, but it is 2000 and goddamn too, Peter. What are you doing? Um, yeah. There's there's all these interesting holdovers from the 60s comic that don't. I I mean, again, 2002 is not 2014. I grant you that, but it feels mm. like things, especially considering he's a genius. Wrestling, really? <laughs> so you have the wrestling match. You have Randy Savage, who at that point was roided out of his mind. It's so <laughs> no, it's sad. But R- true. Randy, no, <laughs> Randy Savage, one of the great professional wrestlers of all time, playing. Who's he playing, dude? Bonesaw. <laughs> and is he ready? I really, <laughs> I really want ready. you to say I don't remember his name. <laughs> I was really hoping that you were I gonna, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think we know his name. I don't think I ever um, say. His, uh, he has... Right, Mr. What's your first ha- name? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. He has four, um, like, scantily clad muscle yes. women with him who are credited as the Bonettes. <laughs> scantily clad muscle women, you say? Who are paid to mock not, Peter not Parker bro- as he comes into the room. Not yeah. crocodile women. <laughs> The Bonettes, yeah, the, not the Crocodile, but the Bonettes who mock woman. Peter as he walks down the aisle. Um, my favorite, for everything that is in this scene that I love, my favorite thing is, as Peter is making his way to the ring, the guy getting hauled out on the oh, stretcher, yeah. screaming, Oh my god, my legs, I can't feel my legs! You know, it's funny, I was trying to decide if I interpreted that as real or kayfabe. There, there is no kayfabe in this. Like it, the way that this is played. Like here's, here's what happens. Volunteers come to a ring, a cage drops, and Randy Savage attacks them with crowbars. Which it's all real. It's all real. Yeah, I mean, like Peter Parker got his head dented with that fucking cha- or the chair dented by his. Head. The only reason he survived that was because he has superpowers. Because if there's anything that spiders can't be, it's crushed. 
You know, the, yeah. this scene really... His skull has the proportionate hardness of a spider's <laughs> oh, skull. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, the thing is, I, and I'm not just saying this because... Uh, let me do it this way. I joke a lot about getting into trouble in Hollywood. The truth of the matter is no one gives a crap. So I'm not... No, one, no people are listening. We have dozens of listeners. <laughs> well, it doesn't point. just exist There's now. This exists... Get off this dozens. podcast. It's not just who, well, I mean, who listens to it now. And I'm not saying this... all of the, all of the future. <laughs> yeah. I'm not actually saying this because I'm actually... I'm worried about This is the ass. basis of a future religion, Patrick. <laughs> we are the wild stallions. Oh, stallions. I'm, I just want to make a point. I'm not, say, I'm not going to say what I'm about to say because I am worried about getting work. I'm, I mean, okay, I enjoy sorry. this movie... In retrospect, but it, and it paved the way for everything that comes after it. But it's just such it is stuck in this weird transitional phrase between what we understand of as modern enjoyable movies, and I don't even want to call it the campy TV shows. Like it is, a lot of its problems come from the fact that it is stuck. It is tonally inconsistent and stuck yes. in this weird in between stage. And the the wrestling scene Absolutely. is kind of the the perfect embodiment of it because. It's stuck in the campy '60s, you know. There, there's well, I mean, it's nonsensical yeah. for it to be in modern day. I, th- I think part of it too, though, is that I mean, Raimi is like a huge Spider-Man fan, yeah, uh, a as well. Spider-Man yeah, fan right. Sure. So you know, I think that has something to do with it as well. I mean, here's here's a director who has a particular affection for the source material, um, and so I think that might explain mm-hmm. at least some of the campiness. Well, do you do you think that works for or against the film? I th- his affinity for the character, Derek. I think it works for it. I mean, you know, there, there, there was a way to, you know, go sort of completely, completely campy with this, and I think that would have been an enjoyable movie. I don't think that would have been a hundred million dollars <laughs> yeah. in a weekend movie. Yeah. Um, so no. you know, well, yeah. I want to watch that movie more, <laughs> right? Uh, um, other thoughts about the wrestling. Bruce Campbell's in it. He's this great. Is true. Yeah, in it. Naming Spider-Man. We're all on the same page about Bruce, Bruce Campbell I, being great. Name Spider-Man. I, I will literally never... Yeah, he gets credit for that. I will literally and, you know, never it's, say no to Bruce Campbell. It's 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 also just a great showcase for, for Raimi's style. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah. And you I get feel flashbacks like it's a, it's a realistic... Uh, for the character, it's a realistic uh, outlet for, I guess, or path for him to go on. Like, he wouldn't immediately go into being mm-hmm. a superhero. He's, he's trying mm-hmm. to find yeah. a way, because he's just had the scene in the alley with Mary Jane and Flash's car. <clears throat> uh, and so he needs money, and so yeah. they have the, the little montage of him trying to figure out what to do. Uh, and, I don't know, it just seems realistic. He, kn- he knows he can fight, so he's yeah. going to try and mm-hmm. turn that into cash somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes he's sense. Like, it's something, it's kind of a juvenile thing mm-hmm. to do, but it's also like him being clever. So it yeah. just, it makes sense that mm-hmm. it's, it's always... And it was like, wow, I can climb walls, I can spin webs, I should fight crime is not the logical yeah. p- path you have when you get it's super been a key powers. Which again goes into what you were talking about, about him being sort of the ultimate juvenile, uh, juvenile sort of fantasy wish fulfillment yeah. character. Yeah, if, if we all had superpowers, we would probably not immediately fight crime yeah. well, it keep, and, you We know, would probably use them for other things, <laughs> and then our uncles would be murdered, and we'd feel bad, and then we'd fight crime. Well, I mean, never. It, and, every, and every, much, everyone has something to say. Left, left to right. Dude, Derek. Right. Right. I feel like that uh, everyone in this film is a straightforward, like, stereotypical trope. You've got literally the girl next door, uh, the, <laughs> the nerdy guy who suddenly has power, the uh, evil, crazy billionaire... 
the best friend who's kind of a traitor. The professional wrestler. Uh, yes, the professional wrestler. Uh, <laughs> the Bonettes. The Bonettes. The scantily Probably the most classic <laughs> stereotype in this. Uh, with, uh, with Lisa Bonet. Yes. <laughs> Lisa Bonet uh, and the Bonet. Lisa Bonet is a saint. A different, a different world was never the same after the Bonets left. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Made uh, Derek. a reference to a different world. Uh, Check. Derek, what were you going to say? Um, I, I was going to say, you know, as much as we might criticize Green Goblin's uh, costume, I think the costuming is a lot of what makes the wrestling scene work. Um, you know, mm-hmm. like Peter Parker's, like, crappy first version of his <laughs> costume. I mean, it's, it's, so it's wonderful. It's, 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 I love it so much. It's wonderfully terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and it's, and it's like, it's motivated by, by the characters, um, kind of, uh, uh, desires and abilities you know it, it's clear like this film did a lot of work trying to like motivate peter parker as a character you know motivate yeah. his actions uh through all of these different uh avenues well in a lot of ways um you know all the other characters spin around peter parker even harry even harry is spins around peter parker in that he's always being constantly having to compare himself to harry in his father's eyes uh, but the thing I was going to say... His terrible father. His terrible father. <laughs> uh, the thing I was going to say was that that's actually... The, his his immediate selfishness is one of the key defining characteristics of Spider-Man. Because off the top of my head, I think he's the only teenage superhero who came into a superherodom by himself. All the others are either sidekicks, i.e. Robin, Green Arrow... Uh, up, I'm sorry, Speedy. Up to that point, he yeah. certainly and was. The, or the X-Men who had, you know, who were a team and had, you know, Patrick Stewart sitting there, you know, telling them what to do. He, he, because he has that vacuum, that's kind of what makes him most interesting is that he has to find his own way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He has to yeah. figure out that he needs to be a hero on his own. Yeah. Right. I agree. That makes sense. Yeah. All right, true believers, we're going to stop it right there for today. Uh, We have so much more to go over in part two of our Spider-Man episode. We haven't even touched Oscorp World Unity Day yet, and we all loved that, Uh, as well as our wrap-up and final thoughts on the film. Uh, Part two of this podcast will be out shortly. It may be out now, depending on when you're listening to this. We hope you enjoyed this part one of our discussion, and that you will come back to listen to us again soon. Thanks very much. Excelsior!